Bravo lovers, and welcome to a brand new episode of Bravo Tea with Jared B. Um, listen, I understand it's been a minute since the last episode, and I'm very sorry about that. Uh, but your boy, Jared B, has been traveling for the last six weeks, and I've gone to like six or seven different cities in that time frame. Um, on my last episode, I already explained that I was, you know, at a bachelor party for a friend. Uh, in Vegas. And then a week and a half after that, I had friends come from the UK and we went on an eight day boys road trip, which was so much fun. I felt like I was a wet rag that was wrung out and uh, left on the side of the road. Like I was so exhausted after that trip. I remember coming home that Sunday after dropping some of the boys off at the airport and I slept for like six or seven hours because I had only slept like three or four hours the night prior before driving back to Atlanta. Um, so it was some of my friends, it was my friend, Ryan, uh, Connor and Will Thompson, and then new friends, Graham, Jamie English, Will Love, Luke and Dylan. And we went to Auburn, Alabama. That's where we started off our road trip. And we went to the Auburn, Georgia game, which was a lot of fun. It was my first college football experience. We did the tailgating, the whole nine yards. Um, then we went to Nashville for three days. And then after that, we went to Birmingham, Birmingham, uh, Alabama for like a day and a half. And then we went back to Auburn, Georgia for the Auburn rodeo where we saw Zach Bryan in concert. We also saw Luke Grimes uh, from Yellowstone. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, I have to say, like, during this trip, I believe Nashville, uh, we're, I'm driving from Nashville to Birmingham. And, excuse me, why do I always have indigestion when I'm recording? So Luke is in the back of the truck. We had an Escalade. And Luke's like, Jared, can you turn up the volume? And then all of a sudden, this song comes on which I think is Valerie by Amy Winehouse. And it turns out some of the boys um, all banded together and purchased me a new theme song for my show, Bravo Tea with Jared B. Um, with, of course, different lyrics that coincide with my show. Um, and I was like, shocked. I was shocked. I don't think they thought I was shocked, but I was also like a little hungover. I'm sorry. Um, so it took a while for me to process what was going on, but I have to play you like a, a little clip. Um, unfortunately, I can't play the whole thing or include this in the podcast because I would have to write a pretty fat check to the estate of Amy Winehouse and the producer Mark Ronson of Valerie. But here's a little snippet of what they made me. Okay, and that's all I can uh, play you. So shout out to Connor, Will T, uh, Jamie English, Will Love, Luke, and Dylan. Uh, I, I'm sending love to the UK. I appreciate um, what you did. You guys did not have to do that. And that just shows the kindness in your hearts. And I cannot wait to see you guys again. You know I am planning to go to the UK this summer because I have a trip. I have some flight credits that I did not use this summer because I was supposed to go to Europe this summer, but I had too many trips planned. So I had to cancel one thing. And my solo trip through Europe was the trip that I canceled. But I need to use those flight credits by January or they disappear. Um, so then that same week, I got back from the road trip. Uh, that Friday... I had to drive to Tybee Island, Georgia, which if you don't know where that is, that is 30 minutes outside of Savannah, Georgia, for my friend Max and Ida's wedding. And that was a lot of fun because, uh, one, it was an intimate wedding. There was like no more than, what, 40, 50 people there. And I got to see a lot of people that I've known since middle school and high school. Some people I have not seen since graduating high school, almost 14 years years ago. So uh, that wedding was a lot of fun. Shout out to Maxie, Max and Ida. 
Thank you for inviting me. Uh, thank you for including me and all of us and your journey down the aisle. Um, I'm sending love to you guys. Um, but I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be back. I don't have any trips kind of planned uh, for the rest of the year until I have to go to Arizona for the wedding of my friend whose bachelor party I went to in Vegas, uh, which is in February. So enough about me, enough of that Jared tea. Let's get to the Bravo tea. Um, so we are going to get into some Bravo news. So last week was the season 13 premiere of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. After the premiere, Kyle Richards and Teddy Mellencamp uh, they were on Andy Cohen's show, Watch What Happens Live, and they were asked by viewers about the rumors that Dorit and PK have separated and allegedly PK is living in a hotel. Well, um, after that, or allegedly, you know, that Dorit and PK are separated, uh, an article came out, I believe, with In Touch, basically confirming that Dorit and PK are indeed separated. So uh, according, according to In Touch magazine, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills star Dorit Kimsley and Paul PK Kimsley have called it quits after eight years of marriage. In Touch can exclusively confirm. They've been living separate lives for about two months after she ended it, a source exclusively tells In Touch, adding that PK has been living at a hotel in Beverly Hills and was photographed leaving the property. Paul is apparently heartbroken. Paul is PK, if you don't know that. The insider continues that she's been telling people that she fell out of love with him, but they agreed to keep it a secret for now so it doesn't affect the show. When reached by In Touch, a rep for Dorit and PK responded with a statement. We have had some challenging years, which we openly discuss in the upcoming season of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, read the statement shared exclusively with In Touch. We remain committed to working through these issues as a united couple for our family. We have not separated, nor are we planning to do so. Rather, we are focused on healing, making changes, and doing the things that many couples have to do at some point in their marriage. We would be grateful for everyone's understanding. We are doing what we can to focus on the best interests of our family, as opposed to spending our time contending with rumors and hearsay that are not true. Love, Dorit, and PK. Um, listen, I will never hope that a couple, a married couple, will break up. You know, listen, based on what I've seen from the premiere episode of season 13 of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, it does seem like, you know, there um, is a disconnect between Dorit and PK. Um, I think only time will tell. Honestly, this is not new for the Real Housewives. Rumors of a housewife and their husband breaking up and they say, no, it's not true. And then we end up finding out at the reunion that it is true and that they are separated and possibly going through a divorce. So let's see what happens by the time we get to the end of season 13 of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. In addition, we have uh, some information about you know, Dorit and PK and the money they owe to the IRS. Um, Dorit's husband, PK, allegedly owns uh, owes almost $1 million to the IRS in California over unpaid taxes. Dorit allegedly owes $90,000, but she did pay off some of the debt, $635,000, after PK paid off two a $2.27 million debt to the Bellagio Casino in Vegas. Shout out to the Bellagio. I did stay at the Bellagio when I went to Vegas for uh, a friend's bachelor party. We stayed at the Venetian part of the Bellagio. Beautiful hotel. Massive hotel. It's like a mall. I said that, I think, on the last episode. Um, but yeah, Dorit and PK have been going through some things. I do wish them well. They have a beautiful family, two lovely kids, and I hope that they are able to work things out. But like I said, only time will tell 
what is going to happen between Dorit and PK Kemsley. Now, let's get into the big news that has broke. Um, it's this Vanity Fair expose on Bravo. So it starts off with the housewife woke up in her own urine. She was still drunk from the night before when she had three drinks at dinner, another three or four with her co-stars, and then an indeterminate but debilitating amount of mezcal after her castmates went to sleep. The house had been fully restocked when they arrived. She was too hungover to care that she'd wet the bed and so sick that she couldn't film, she told production. But people on set kept telling her that she was fine, and it was just the Mexican water screwing up her stomach, the same thing that happened to them in Cartagena, Colombia the year before. Obviously, we're talking about the Real Housewives of New York before this new era, season 14. The van hired for the day trip pulled over so the housewife could throw up. When the crew saw what was happening, they rushed over, she said, not to help, but to document it. Bravo didn't wind up airing that footage. Production did bring in a doctor who gave the housewife a shot. She pulled down her pants on camera and took it while a castmate held her hand. Now, in my mind, I think there's only three people that this opening of the expose could be referring to. Sonia Morgan, Luann Deliceps, or Dorinda Medley. I think it's allegedly one of those three because, you know, on the previous cast of The Real Housewives of New York, those were usually the three that would get the most turnt, the most drunk, especially on these cast trips, but especially Dorinda Medley and um, Sonia Morgan. Uh, but let's jump to another part of this expose, and that is the alleged racism that Ebony K. Williams, the first Black housewife on The Real Housewives of New York, uh, the alleged racism that she experienced by the hands of uh, her former cast member, Ramona Singer. So it says in 2020 and 2021, Singer's alleged racial hostility and the use of the N-word in conversation with a Black crew member during season 13 production were the subject of complaints within Shed Media Warner Brothers Discovery, Bravo, and NBC Universal. Uh, companies declined to comment on the specific allegation. Um, Jesus. Singer continued to film after alleged incidents, has since been part of two seasons of The Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip, and appeared on Watch What Happens Live as the story was going to press when Ramona was asked if she used the N-word in conversation with a Black member of production. Singer responded, never. Now, there's another situation. Uh, I don't know if you recall during season 13 when the ladies were at Luann's house in Sag Harbor in the Hamptons, uh, there was a conversation about sex happening and how some of the ladies uh, felt uncomfortable with the explicit nature of the sex conversation that was happening. Um, so this portion Ebony K. Williams said that she had no discomfort with the sexual language, noting that she was the most educated person at the table. Uh, Luann Deliceps, who is a high school graduate and a licensed nurse, said that I don't like the way that you talk. When Singer got uh, upset as well, Williams said that your white fragility is killing me right now and then had to explain the term. Luann Deliceps called Williams an angry woman, which Ebony did uh, misinterpret it, in my opinion, uh, as an angry Black woman, and uh, which, you know, Luann Deliceps said, you know, I never referred to your color, um, but, you know, there are common stereotypes about Black women being angry. Um, so, you know, I don't think that Luann had to say you are an angry Black woman, without Ebony K. Williams feel like she was referring to Ebony being an angry Black woman. Um, then the emotional momentum continued. One of the people who remained after Ebony stormed off and left Luann's uh, Hampton's home said that Ramona slammed her hands on the table. And Ramona said that this is why we did not need Black people 
on the show. This is going to ruin our show. Now, Ramona Singer did e- uh, email Vanity Fair saying that this is this absolutely did not happen and that she supported adding diverse cast members well before Ebony K. Williams was added to the show. Um, that season, season 13, Ramona Singer also allegedly told a Black woman staffer that there are so many of you guys here now. Please don't change your hair as I'm not going to be able to remember anyone's names. Uh, Ramona Singer says that this was the kind of thing she commonly did. Uh, it was strictly commentary on her inability to remember names. Um, according to two people familiar with production, Singer exclaimed that there's so many Black chicks you know, around now on season 13. Ramona Singer denies saying this, though footage that aired that season shows that she used the phrase black chicks. Um, There's also another situation where Ramona had an encounter with a black producer. I believe the first black producer on the Real Housewives of New York after Ebony K. Williams was hired on the show. Singer allegedly told Edmondson, that's the last name of the Black producer, that her interaction with Williams reminded her of when Jewish colleagues used a Catholic slur with her when she was a young woman and called her a shiksa, which is a Yiddish term for a non-Jewish woman. Uh, Edmondson had not heard that word before and later had to ask her mother what it was. Um, According to Edmondson, she said, Ramona, I have no idea what you're talking about, to which Singer replied, oh, it's literally like someone calling you a N-word. And allegedly, Ramona said the N-word with the E-R, not the A, with the E-R. And I just want to let people who are not Black know that you can... Uh, refer to a situation of someone using the N-word without actually using the N-word. Like, you don't have to specifically quote that word. It's not your word to use, especially the word with the E-R. Like, that's a problem. That's a problem. Um, Singer says that she never said the N-word and that this account is a misrepresentation of what happened. Uh, She did describe an incident where she was called a shiksa while working in college, but she did not compare the two experiences. Now, listen, if you've been watching The Real Housewives in New York like I have since day one, season one, episode one, um, you know, Ramona has said some problematic things. Um, I can recall maybe season five or season six when the ladies were at Luann's house in the Hamptons. This is the house that she had with her uh, ex-husband, Count Deliceps, the one that Luann had to eventually sell. I believe the ladies, uh, there was an argument involving, I believe, Heather Thompson and Aviva Drescher. Uh, Heather was cursing out someone. This might not be like all of what happened because I have not seen that. Uh, episode that season in a while. But if you go back, there's an argument that happens, uh, I believe, involving Heather Thompson. And Heather, you know, she can get a little crunk. Holla! And she was cursing out someone. And then it jumps to Ramona Singer's confessional, where Ramona is like, and I'm paraphrasing, oh, I thought people only talked about that above 91st Street. Now, if you are not familiar with Manhattan, uh, New York City in general, Um, Above 91st Street in Manhattan is when the demographics change in the city. It goes from predominantly white and wealthy to black and brown, okay? You're getting to Harlem. After that, you're getting to Washington Heights. And I believe after that, you're getting to the Bronx, where mostly black and brown people live. Now, since season five, season six of the Real Housewives of New York City, you know, those areas, especially Harlem, have been heavily gentrified. So they are not, you know, mostly black and brown anymore, but this is still an area where a lot of black and brown people live. Now, like you may be saying, oh, well, Ramona didn't specifically say black or brown or Hispanic people, but if you know the demographics of the area Ramona is referring to above 91st Street, you don't have to hear Ramona specifically call out the race, ethnicity, or creed of whom she was talking about. We know if you have a brain, 
she was talking about black and brown people. It was one of the first instances that I can remember uh, there being a microaggression, racial ignorance uh, coming from Ramona Singer. But I also have to point out how, uh, you know, after this news broke on social media, so many of the Bravo content creators are saying that, you know, this story is a flop. We've already heard some of this. Um, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, of course, why would they choose like the three most unpopular housewives from, you know, the housewife universe for this expose? And I'm like, why does it matter if these are not fan favorites? Like, why does Ebony K. Williams have to be a fan favorite for us, the viewers, to have a problem with the alleged racism that she experienced from one of her co-stars? And then, like, the sweeping under the rug of the alleged racism by the hands of allegedly Bravo, the production company, and the NBC Universal executives. Like, it should not matter that Ebony K. Williams was not a fan favorite would have been, you know, something worth talking about if it was Garcelle from the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills or Portia Williams from the Real Housewives of Atlanta. Like, why does it matter that Ebony K. Williams was not a fan favorite? Does that outweigh the fact that people uh, rather have Ramona on the show because people find her more entertaining? Like, are we just excusing alleged racism because people rather watch Ramona Singer on television than have Ebony K. Williams back on Bravo? Is that what we're doing now? And I have to point out how deeply disappointed I was in a lot of these Bravo content creators whom I follow calling this a flop, saying like, oh, you know, uh, how do we know that Ebony K. Williams is telling the truth? I mean, hello, first of all, a lot of these accounts, these recounts in this article, one, I believe it was Heather Thompson that told Ebony K. Williams that Ramona said that there shouldn't be any Black people on the show, which prompted Ebony K. Williams to go to HR and make a complaint, okay? It was the Black producer that had that encounter with Ramona allegedly, allegedly using the N-word that prompted the Black producer to go to HR and make a complaint on Ramona. It was the fact that Ramona was talking about, oh, I've never had, you know, all these Black people in my home before. I've never seen all these Black chicks around before. That prompted uh, a member of production to go to HR to make a formal complaint about Ramona Singer. Like, why are we excusing this behavior? Why? Is it because some of these Bravo content creators rather be in close proximity to Bravo and Bravo celebrities, their talents, so you can, you know, book them on your show so you can interview them? Listen, I would love to be able to book, you know, a housewife. It's very hard. It's probably hard for me because I'm brand new to this. You know, it's easier for other Bravo content creators to get an interview with a Bravo celebrity because they have a larger following. But like, come on. Are we really willing to sweep all of this under the rug so you can be in Bravo's good graces and so you can book something like an interview with a housewife or anybody else on these Bravo shows? Like, is, is this where the bar is now? Is this what we're letting happening? Is this what we're going to let happen now? Like I said, would we care more if it was a Black housewife that we enjoyed more? So, like, that pissed me off a little bit, and I think it's super shady. Like, I believe that we are all here to discuss what happens on these shows, good, bad, and indifferent. And I'm one of the type of people, I'm not afraid to call out a thing. If you know me, if you're listening to me, and you've known me since middle school, high school, whatever, you know I'm not afraid to call out BS, despite the fact that it might get me in trouble, okay? That's who I am. I'm from New York. I'm not afraid to call a thing a thing. But like some of you Bravo content creators, I'm looking at you with a little side eye, okay? That you're willing to dismiss some of the things in this expose, okay? And like shoo it off and sweep it under the rug. And I believe it's because you're thinking about access and proximity to, I guess, 
the very network that we talk about every day or every week, tweet about, Instagram about. I find it troubling. I also briefly want to mention the Leah McSweeney part of it. The only reason why I did not uh, read the excerpts from the expose about Leah McSweeney because I'm, I'm actually um, conflicted about it. And the reason being is because, you know, I had a interview with uh, Gabby from season three of Below Deck Sailing Yacht, where she talked about her experiences with production and the fact that she felt pressured to drink. And I asked her to clarify what that pressure looks like because I can't imagine, you know, like me feeling pressure as an adult to drink in any situation because we are adults and we are in charge of our own behavior and our own actions. So when it comes to Leah McSweeney, I'm a little saddened and deeply troubled that Leah was willing to compromise and sacrifice her sobriety to be on a reality show. And like, I can understand if, you know, her first season on The Real Housewives of New York, she didn't fully understand what she was getting into. But like after the first season, you should know what you're in now. And then she did a second season of The Real Housewives of New York City. And then she did The Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip in Thailand, where she earned allegedly $250,000 for a week's worth of work. But with that being said, at the end of the day, if production and the network is aware that some of these women have substance abuse problems, have alcohol addictions, I find it deeply troubling that they are just willing to exploit those problems for television just because these women sign on the dotted line. Like, there has to be a level of integrity. There has to be a bar that is raised that, like, this is the behavior that we are not willing to put up with. Because God forbid something happens on an upcoming season of a housewife franchise where one of these women are heavily intoxicated, maybe abusing drugs, and something happens like, you know, drowning in a pool. And then we find out so-and-so has died because they were heavily intoxicated. Production was aware of it. Production was uh, basically pressuring them to drink more because the viewers will love to see this behavior. This is allegedly a lot of things that happen with production, uh, where like production will say like, hey, you need to turn it up a bit because, you know, you're coming off boring and we might have to edit you out the show or you will be featured left less in the show or viewers might not enjoy you this season. And if you were someone who desperately wants to be on this show, maybe you feel pressure within yourself. Like, oh, maybe I need to loosen up a bit. So let me drink more. But like, how far are we going to let this go before something really bad happens? Like, come on, guys, we got to have some sort of integrity with this. Let's call the thing a thing. And like, I'm not hoping something bad happens, but I would love to avoid something bad happen, happening. Excuse me. I'm a little, I'm a little heated about this. I'm a little troubled uh, because some of my favorite content creators were like just a little too dismissive of some of the things uh, that were in this expose, especially when it comes to the alleged racism from Ramona Singer. Like, hello? It's weird. It's weird. And I'm judging you silently. I'm judging you. But, you know, that's enough of Bravo News. Let's move on to part one, the reunion for the Real Housewives of New York City. So now we have The Real Housewives of New York City. This is season 14, episode 15, The Reunion, part one. So we have finally made it to the reunion for The Real Housewives of New York. And Uba came into this reunion, Uba hot, and she's ready to mention it all. 
So we have the reunion segment one. We start off with Aaron's segment, and Aaron is asked what it's like working with Frederick Eklund from Million Dollar Listing New York. And Aaron says that Frederick is in person exactly how he is on television. And the only reason why I'm mentioning this little tidbit is because then Uba jumps in saying, uh, you know, like, I like that. I'm like Jenna. And I laughed because it was so random and misplaced. And Jenna's obviously speechless at this point. But I think all the ladies uh, found Uba's comment random as well because we're, we're not at Jenna's part of the reunion for Uba to be calling her out. Uh, but Uba says that she feels like Jenna is like, poor me, poor me, when Jenna actually is a powerhouse, a boss, um, like Diana Ross. Um, but Andy had to step in and get the train back on the track. Uh, so we learned that when Aaron's dad would go on a business trip or business trips to Israel, a 15-year-old Aaron uh, would be responsible for taking care of her siblings. And I feel like that's a lot of responsibility to put on a 15-year-old. And it does explain why Aaron, like she said, is so tightly wound. And it's because she always had to be the responsible one, um, you know, she couldn't even take Jessel's joke in this reunion about making Tribeca happen. You know, that's how tightly wound Aaron is. But Aaron, you need to outsource that to your therapist because these ladies are not your siblings. They are your coworkers. So as you go into season 15, I need you to loosen up, lighten up, and just have a little fun and not take everything so seriously. Um, and then Aaron tries to call out Sai for talking about her and her confessionals, but Sai is like, hold up, wait a minute. You're a liar and you don't own your own shit. So this brings us back to Cheesegate when Aaron said that Sai was bitching about Aaron serving cheese, but come to find out Sai never said anything about the cheese. She just wanted to know if she should eat before coming over. And Sai calls out Aaron for perpetuating this lie on a podcast, which Aaron denied, but Sai had the receipts. And then after Sai plays the receipts, a clip from the podcast, uh, Aaron then backtracked and said that she misconstrued, misconstrued, excuse me, the cheese situation and that she didn't mean it literally. But I have to say, Aaron seems to be one of those people that uh, gives new adaptations of situations that happen to fit her narrative. And I feel like we all have one person in our lives uh, that like to change the story up to fit their own narrative. Like, say you have a conflict with a friend and they say that you did A, B, C, and D. Um, and you have to be like, that's not what happened at all. Uh E-F-G-H-I-J actually happened. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I actually forgot the alphabet for like, you know, maybe like three seconds. Don't judge me. I know the alphabet. I graduated high school. <laughs> I graduated, okay? I know the alphabet. Um, but it's literally like this person just rewrote this whole damn story in their mind to justify why they are upset at you. And I find it weird. I find it troubling. And I find it problematic, honestly. And I think that you know, we need to watch out for those types of people, in all honesty. And then Uba has another random moment and says, I think that they should focus on how they didn't want Jenna Lyons on the show. And the ladies are confused. <laughs> and I feel like Uba came into this reunion with talking points and things that she was ready to address and call people out on, but Uba is not finding the right moments to address these things. And I feel like Uba should have watched some past reunions of Housewives because I don't believe prior to being on the show, she had ever watched any Housewife show before. So I think that Uba should have done some, some homework prior to participating in her first housewife reunion. Um, so she can understand the lay of the land. But Aaron admits that at times she can be rude and crass. And then Uber jumps in again and says that she doesn't think Aaron is rude. Uh, she thinks Aaron can be polite, elegant, and nice. But Uber thinks that Aaron stirs the pot and that she's a gaslighter, which Sai uh, co-signs and agrees that Aaron is a gaslighter. And I'm like, you know, okay, Uba, here you go. 
You can interject and give your opinion, but it has to meet the moment. It has to make sense. And this moment, this specific moment, made sense for Uba to interject and call out Aaron for some of her behavior. So then we move to the Jenna Lyons segment of the reunion. And can I just say that I love Jenna Lyons? I love Jenna Lyons. She has been so open and honest about her life, her childhood, and her career. And I'm happy that there are moments during this season that could help Jenna heal and navigate her pain of not feeling loved by her mother. And I also love that Jenna has the emotional maturity to compartmentalize that pain. She's able to acknowledge not feeling loved by her mother, but at the same time, uh, breathe and acknowledge that her mother was incapable of giving it due to uh, her mother's suffering for from autism. Um, and I have to say that sometimes our parents aren't able to give us what we want from them, whether it's stability, whether it's love, respect, or affection. And sometimes it's out of our parents' control, depending on where they came from, uh, how they grew up, uh, how old they are, you know, like, you know, these older generations, some of them like to sweep things under the rug because back in their day, you know, being emotionally vulnerable, it was considered weak, but we are in a new day. And I love that Jenna was able to express her love for her mother and her understanding that her mother wasn't capable of giving Jenna, the child Jenna, what she needed. Um, and from what they've been through, children, based on what they've experienced from their parents, uh, hopefully by the time a child becomes an adult, they can break that chain, change the pathology, and do for others what they didn't have growing up, like when the child that grows up becomes a parent themselves. Um, because we are all products of our environment and our parents, the good, the bad, and the indifferent. Excuse me. Uh, but we also learn from Sai that she runs away from her feelings and that she does not address them. Sai admits that she's broken inside but doesn't want to tell anyone. She doesn't want people to experience that part of her. She wants people to experience happiness with Sai, with her. Um, but I can't say that that is what we experience with Sai. We did not experience happiness with Sai. There were some happy moments. There were some funny moments. But like, you know, Sai, you know, she's a different flavor of water. And I am hoping that going into season 15, we can experience a different side of Sai. Because in the second half of the season, I could tell that there are things that Sai has not addressed in her life and healed based from her interactions and reactions to the women and the conflict happening in the group. Like, for example, the many times that Sai said she does not care when talking about Jessel and her marriage. And it's like, one, you do care because you keep on talking about it. And two, how many times... Uh, Sai had to pretend like she doesn't care. And I felt like that's a de defense mechanism. Like, I wonder how many times Sai had to tell herself growing up that she's going to be okay just to survive, to not be destroyed by the trauma of her childhood and had to tell her, you know, I don't care. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to make it through. Like, I feel like that I don't care thing is a defense mechanism. And I'm not a licensed therapist, obviously, if you listen to me. You know, I'm just going based on my own opinion of what I watch on these shows. Uh, but it feels like a, a trauma response to me. And hopefully this season can be a mirror for Sai to address the issues from her childhood. Because I actually like Sai. I just don't think we got to experience the best parts of Psy this season. And I hope that if she comes back for season 15, that we can experience a more fun uh, part of Psy. So then we have Aaron apologize to Jenna for making it seem like Jenna was too good to fly coach with the rest of the ladies to Anguilla because there was more to the story that Aaron purposely omitted to what fit her narrative and the story she was trying to tell at the time. Watch out for Aaron. So we get to the circle of trust part of this conversation in the reunion, and we get to the mention of Uba's boyfriend. And I have to say that I appreciate Sai for owning that she revealed details about Uba's boyfriend to some of the ladies, and she took 
that anger out on Bren because Sai was disappointed in herself. Now, um, I do want to jump to Jessel calling Aaron and Sai out for talking about her marriage way too much throughout the season, but specifically in the second half of the season. Aaron is like, you know, what are you talking about? I didn't insinuate Pavitt was cheating on you. And Jessel was like, did you watch this season with a fucking blindfold over your face? And I'm like, yes, Jessel. Yes. Call it out. Okay. Because did Aaron watch the season with a blindfold over her face? Like, Aaron and Sai are correct with the fact that they never specifically said, I think Pavitt is cheating on Jessel. But they certainly insinuated it, especially finding out that Pavitt was going to Vietnam to uh, accrue flight miles, you know, airline miles. Um, so, like, I, I believe that Aaron and Cy know exactly what they were doing. I believe that Aaron and Cy know exactly what Jessel meant, and I believe that they were just trying to get away with it. But you guys were insinuating, without specifically saying it, that Pavitt might have something going on with something else, with someone else in Vietnam. So we get to Jessel's segment, and um, I'm honestly over talking about Jessel's marriage. Um, you know, Jessel, of course, and Pavitt went through a dry spell. And based on what Jessel said, she and Pavitt are in a better place. Um, I was going to give props to Sai again for taking ownership of something, uh, like, you know, apologizing for commenting on Jessel's marriage, but she canceled out me giving her uh, props for apologizing when she said from the outside looking in that she doesn't think Jessel and Pavitt have a connection. And uh, what I noticed throughout the season is despite the dry spell, uh, Jessel and Pavitt have a friendship within their marriage. Like, even though, like, you know, you know, in the second part of the reunion, um, Jessel did point out that she needs to probably be more nicer to Pavitt, but you can see that there is a genuine friendship and love between Jessel and Pavitt. You know, I love their banter. I love their ability to joke with one another, even though for two, two years, basically, they haven't had sex. And so I think that says something about the state of their marriage that despite the lack of intimacy, they are able to remain good friends within their marriage. And I've always heard that you should always marry your best friend. And to me, that's exactly what Jessel and Pavitt did. They married each other because they're friends first. Um, and yeah, that is my take on uh, part one, the reunion part one of the Real Housewives of New York. Um, and we are going to move on to the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So we have season 13, episode one, titled The Eagle Woman Has Landed. Um, so we, of course, have the season 13 premiere of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And we start off with Dorit and PK and the Eagle Woman, who is a shaman or a spiritual healer. And I have to say, like, I can't with the healing and the healing ceremonies and the shamans, like, on The Real Housewives. Like, go to a group therapy uh, because these healing ceremonies are played out and they've been featured on almost every Housewife franchise that has aired this year. Okay, I'm over it. Okay, these healing ceremonies, these shaman ceremonies, they work in the moment that allow the ladies to be vulnerable. But like the next season, I mean, the next, not the next season, the next scene, they're like going at it. So it's like, is this, is this really working? Okay, can we like do something other than like the shamans and the healing ceremonies? It's like how, you know, on all these housewife franchises, there's like a 20s theme party, you know, great Gatsby party. Like I, there are too many reoccurring themes on these shows and it's time to switch it up because it's getting annoying. But let's move on to the healing retreat that happened in Malibu. So the ladies arrive at the healing retreat in Malibu and the ladies seem to be in good spirits, but also a little nervous about what's to, what's about to go down. 
And the eagle woman um, pretty much lets the ladies know that they are in a safe place to let it all out. So Dorit decides to start first. Um, Dorit addresses Erica about her saying at BravoCon last year that PK and Dorit would be the next couple to split. And I find it very ironic that there are rumors that Dorit and PK have split. Um, but little do we know that Erica could possibly be right. Um, but that's not the point. Uh, I, I find it a little unnerving, unnerving, I, the nerve of Erica to say that she's a showwoman or showman and she gave the people what they wanted to hear, like she's Beyonce or something. And I'm like, what about your friendship? It's a very weird response because, you know, when Erica was going through her things with all the rumors about her involvement with her uh, soon-to-be ex-husband or her ex-husband, Tom Girardi's uh, stealing of settlement money from his clients and Erica allegedly uh, spending all that money to uh, on her lavish lifestyle. You know, Dorit was one of the women on the cast that was supportive, even though Dorit did have questions about Erica's involvement. So I think it's a very weird response to say something like that and throw your friend under the bus and say that basically her marriage is on the rocks. Erica could have said anyone in the Bravo universe outside of her own cast member. And she chose to say Dorit and PK, which makes me think... Does Erica know something that we don't at this point? And then Erica asked Dorit if her marriage to PK is strong. And the answer might be no. But like, you don't ask your friend that to justify why you threw their relationship under the bus the year prior at BravoCon. Like, what is this behavior? And then Sutton, messy-ass Sutton, in her confessional alleges that when PK got his DUI, we found about that, uh, found out about that on season 12 of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, uh, Sutton alleges that when PK got his DUI, another woman was in the car with him. And then uh, Erica opens up, she gets emotional, and she apologizes to Doree. Um, And then now it's Kyle's turn. Um, Kyle feels like the ladies did not support her during last year's reunion with Kyle's drama with her sister, Kathy Hilton. But I have to agree with Garcelle uh, that Erica and Lisa Renner are the ones that she needs to redirect that hurt to uh, because those were the two, like, you know, fanning the flames between Kathy Hilton and Kyle Richards. And also, if I were any of those ladies, I wouldn't have gotten involved either because that's family. There's family business, there's family drama, and anyone outside that family needs to stay out of it. But Erica and Lisa Renna did not stay out of it. They were in it, okay? And they were in it during the reunion when Kyle was broken and in tears getting into it with her sister, Kathy Hilton. But then we jump to this Erica Jane, Erica Girardi therapy session. And so we join Erica in her therapy session with Dr. Jen from Couples Therapy on VH1. If you may not know who that doctor is, um, that's who she is, Dr. Jen from Couples Therapy on VH1. And the only thing I have to point out uh, is Erica asking Dr. Jen how she can develop empathy. And like, I had to literally ask myself three times. I think, you know, I had to pause the TV, something like that. And I was like, did she just ask how she can get empathy? I'm like, did she really just ask that question? And I feel like empathy, even sympathy is something that's in your heart. You either have it or you don't. It's not like some new human software that you can download like an iPhone. Like, you know, it, I, I, I was shocked by that question and maybe it explains why it felt like Erica was not empathetic to the victims of Tom Girardi, uh, I guess the season prior or the season before that. Um, I, I just find it wild that Erica had to ask her therapist how she can get empathy. Wild, wild. It's a little crazy. Made me a little uncomfortable. But let's move on. That's all I have to say about that. 
So we get to Garcelle and her sons, and Garcelle spends some quality time with her sons on the beach. And I have to say, I love that Garcelle has created a space with her sons to be open and honest with her about how they experience her as a parent. Uh, Jade is kind of in la-la land because he has a girlfriend, and that's all he can think about at this moment. You know, he is 15, I believe 15 at that time. And Jax, on the other hand, had a lot more to say and more to share and was brutally honest with Garcelle. And Garcelle accepted the criticism. Um, I have to say that I think, you know, Jax was feeling himself a bit, saying that at 15, he doesn't need to be parented anymore, even though, you know, the... The young man did not even know how to operate a gas station pump to put gas in his mother's car. So, you know, I think that you need to latch on to your mom a little bit longer to at least learn how to pump some gas, you know. Shout out to Jax. Um, but I'm like, buddy, you know, these are the times you're going to need your parents the most uh, because those teenage years are brutal. 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and sometimes 19, 20, 21, okay, and 22. Okay, you were not done being parented. Um, and I feel like, you know, for Garcelle, because she's a single mother and I was raised by a single mother. Uh, so as an adult, I can now understand the sacrifices my mother has made for me and my siblings more than I understood it as a teenager. And Jax may feel this way at 15, excuse me, but I guarantee you he won't feel that way by the time he reaches probably 25. Because um, I feel like from 15 to 22, you just feel like you know it all. And then life has a way of hum humbling you and slapping you in your face and shifting your perspective. So let's jump to whew, this uncomfortable scene between Kyle and Mauricio, who are now currently separated. Um, we get to the final scene of this episode and, you know, we experience this awkward and somewhat tense conversation between Mauricio and Kyle. Um, Mauricio notices the changes Kyle has made to her life, uh, Kyle being more physically active, her being sober. Uh, but what Mauricio has not noticed is how many tattoos Kyle has. And Kyle says, maybe you should be looking at my body closer, which indicates to us, the viewer, that there's a lack of intimacy in their marriage at that point. Point, and it's probably due to their busy schedules. Um, Mauricio is like, you know, no more tattoos. And Kyle is like, uh, but I want another. And Kyle is like, I'm probably going to get another. And then, uh, you know, it gets a little handmaid's tale when Mauricio is like, he can't allow that. Uh, like he owns Kyle's body. Um, and I don't know if it's a Jewish thing because I believe that, like I've heard before, uh, that if you have tattoos, you can't be buried in a Jewish cemetery. Um, I don't know if that's why Mauricio is saying no more tattoos, but, you know, Kyle already has one. So, like, I, if that's the case, she can't be buried in a Jewish cemetery. I'm just, you know, I'm just guessing where this is coming from. Uh, but, you know, I'm like, this is Kyle Richards, Mauricio. Her name is not of Umansky, hearkening back to The Handmaid's Tale. Um, but I also noticed that Mauricio was calling Kyle Love Bean several times. Did any of you notice that? Because in the 13 years that I've been watching The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, I've never heard Mauricio call Kyle Love Bean. And so that was something that um, was very noticeable to me. And it, it might be a nothing burger, but, and I understand that we don't see everything that is filmed between Kyle and Mauricio, but, you know, I'm like, is this a new pet nickname between them? Like, Love Bean? Like, it, it just didn't feel real and authentic, the Love Bean name uh, that was coming from Mauricio to Kyle. Um, and I have to be honest, uh, when these separation rumors came out, I did not know what to believe. Um, and then we hear the rumors that Kyle is allegedly dating Morgan Wade, who is a woman. And I'm like, you know, what on earth is going on? How you doing, Kyle? How you doing? Um, how Wendy Williams would say, how you doing? Um, but after watching the scene, you know, obviously it's clear that there's a disconnect between them. And at this point, they seem to be uh, two ships passing through the night. Uh, so we'll see 
uh, what transpires on the rest of the season of The Royal Housewives of Beverly Hills. Um, so let's move on to Southern Charm. So we have season nine, episode seven, titled The Naked Truth. And this episode starts off with exes Shep and Taylor taking a walk on the beach with their dogs. And I have to point out how strange and selfish it is that these guys on Southern Charm expect to remain friends with their exes whose hearts they have broken. And some of these girls just let it happen. They just let it happen. Like, have a backbone and be like, no, you don't get to have your cake and eat it too. You don't get to screw me over and break my heart, but hope that we can remain friends so it's easier for you to feel better about what you did to me. That's what I feel like that what's going on on Southern Charm. Um, but we jump to boys' night at Whitney's or his mother's house, Miss Patricia. And Austin, you know, is in his feelings. You know, he's in therapy, but I don't know if it's, it's working. I don't know if the, the therapy is therapying. Um, but as we know, Austin's sister passed away when he was younger. And as we have seen on this show, Olivia's brother passed away as well. And Austin just wants to be there for Olivia. Um, but I have to say I'm a little conflicted by this uh, because I find it admirable and I find it respectable that uh, Austin wants to be there for Olivia, but I also find it slightly self-serving because I don't trust Austin Austin's intentions. Like, for all we know, he might want to be there for Olivia so she can forgive him for being an asshole and they can just be friends, which would make Austin feel better about being an asshole to Olivia. Um, so I, I, I just don't exactly trust Austin and his intentions with Olivia regarding the death of her brother. Um, I, I hope that his intentions are pure, but you never know with these guys on Southern Charm. You just, You honestly just never know. So then we get to Madison's house um, and she's talking with her husband and then her, her son walks in crying and he's all scratched up and bloody. And we find out this kid, he got into, you know, a scrap with, um, and he, this kid bit Madison's son several times. And I'm like, yo, if this was my kid, I would probably call the parents ASAP, ASAP. And you might be thinking, why call instead of just showing up at the parents' house? But, you know, I have to say, like, you can't just show up at people's house, homes in the South, because, you know, people shoot first and ask questions later. And I refuse to be a hashtag on social media. I refuse. So, yes, I'm going to call the parents first and maybe I'll slash a tire, but we're going to set up a meeting so we can have a conversation why your banshee of a child who was seems to be raised by wolves uh, is biting my son. Okay. I would have, I would have shut that down real quick, but then we get to JT's dinner and um, I guess we're in JT's new event space. And I have to say, you know, for me, the rookie of the season so far is JT. This man from the first episode has known the assignment. He is like Craig 2.0. JT is stirring the pot. He's asking the right questions. He's promoting his businesses, which isn't super thirsty. Um, he's not super thirsty about it. You know, he's pursuing Taylor because some of these cast members don't know how to date outside their friend circle. So JT is doing all of the things and I'm quite impressed. Um, so everyone has not arrived yet and the mess is already starting. Vanita arrives and Madison tells her that Taylor sent nudes to Whitney. And then Vanita is going to tell Leva, of course, and then word is going to spread to Shep, which will lead to the conflict during dinner. It's like clockwork. Um, so now I have to talk about everyone's attire. I think my best dress goes to Vanita and Madison and Leva and Olivia, and my worst dress goes to Whitney. Um, Whitney brother mustard is not your color and i don't think it's a bad suit but i don't think it's the right suit for whitney um and maybe it's because it was the striped yellow shirt with a pop collar like it's 2008 and also like he does look like a 70s porn director um and you know i do feel like whitney 
fits that aesthetic quite well. But I would have to say the worst dressed of this event does go to Whitney. What is his name? Southern Sutherland Sutherland Smith, something like that. Whitney, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, but then we get to this moment where JT tries to shoot his shot with Taylor, and he gets shot down. Um, and JT asks if Taylor is single, and she confirms yes, but she's not looking for anything. She's happy. She's content. She's good. And good for her, okay? Because honestly, she shouldn't be dating anyone in this friend group. She can do better. Um, and then Leva sits down with Vanita, Madison, and Craig, and Leva can already tell that the girls want to tell her something, and this is when Leva finds out that Taylor sent Whitney nudes. Excuse me. Um, and I have to say, one of my greatest joys watching Southern Charm is watching Craig's face when the tea is being spilt and the pot is getting stirred, because Craig loves it. He loves it. He lives for it. He enjoys watching it. He enjoys participating it. He he enjoys stirring the pot himself. And I enjoy watching Craig enjoy it. Um, And then Craig goes over to the guys and lets Shep know that he should go over to the girls to see what's up. So then Madison summons Shep to let him know Taylor sent Whitney nudes. And Shep actually comes to Taylor's defense, uh, you know, that she probably did it to get back at Shep because he put her through a hard time. And then Shep gives Taylor a heads up about the nude pick talk happening among the group. So then the cast is now all seated. The salad is served to everyone. However, now that Vanita has now left the table to go to Fashion Week in New York City. Can we talk? Okay. Can we talk about Vanita? Um, my hope for this season was that it would feel to me that Vanita has more authentic connections with the cast. And I can't say that I feel like that has happened. I understand that she is friends with Madison, Olivia, and Leva, but it just feels like Vanita is an accessory on the show. And it, like, bothers me. Like, it, it, it vexes my spirit, okay? Uh, because, like, when Vanita and Craig were talking about Fashion Week, Craig was obviously very disinterested in the conversation with her. And I just don't feel like anyone on the cast would care if Vanita was there or not. And let's remember how we met Vanita and Leva. It was after George Floyd's death in 2020, and there were all these discussions about racism and diversity and representation on Bravo, and Bravo started diversifying some of their shows on their roster, like The Real Housewives of New York City. You saw how that went. Uh, The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills with adding Garcelle and Crystal. That went better. And Southern Charm, uh, which felt slightly disingenuous to me. But that's how we got Vanita. And three seasons later, it still feels like she doesn't have any authentic connections with this cast. And I like Vanita. I like her. I like her style. I think she's beautiful. I believe that she's a hard worker and she's very nice. But sometimes I'm like, why are you here, Vanita? This show might not be for you. And I hate that I feel that way. I do. But if diversity in a friend group is not authentic to the, to this cast, then it shouldn't be forced. It shouldn't be forced on any cast. That's my personal opinion. Um, now back to this dinner. So the group is engaging in some friendly banter, but then the good stuff starts happening uh, after Shep lets Madison know that he gave Taylor a heads up about the nude photo. Uh, and, you know, Taylor allegedly said, you know, well, she did say to Shep, um, which Shep uh, conveys to Madison that the nudes weren't explicit, but Madison is not buying it. And Taylor is looking down at the end of the table because she knows there's a conversation happening about her at the end of the table. So Taylor decides to jump in. Uh, Taylor's like, clearly you guys are talking about me and the photo I sent to Whitney, but you couldn't see anything. And Madison is like, "Uh, I saw your tits and vagina and I saw, come on, come on. And I love everyone's faces. They were like, oh. Everyone's reaction to this because um, if I had been at this dinner and witnessed this, I would have been dead on the floor from laughing, okay? I would have been enjoying this and eating it up so much. Um, And then we find out that Whitney 
uh, showed Craig the nudes. Whitney tried to deny it, but, you know, Craig is not going to let anything go. And Craig doubles down and said, uh, buddy, Whitney, you showed me her nude pictures. And, of course, Whitney showed Craig. I wonder who else Whitney showed these nudes to. I mean, he already told his mother about it, which I find weird as well. But, you know, to me, Whitney can be a little creepy. Like, this man is knocking on 60 years old, and he's showing his friends nudes like he's in college. And it's not even acceptable in college. Like, you know, if someone sends you nude photos, um, it's not right for you to share them with your friends. Okay? I mean, listen, when will these men on Southern Charm grow up? And I, and I have to admit, it's good for the show, but in real life, it's embarrassing because they think they're cool and we, the viewers, think it's sad and creepy. And they don't get that. They don't get that. They don't see that we feel that way about them. Um, but, you know, that's that Charleston bubble that they live in. So then M Madison starts calling out Taylor's behavior. And I have to say that I don't disagree with Madison. Uh, does the fact that your ex-boyfriend, Shep, allegedly cheating on you give you an excuse to be reckless when you make out with Shep's friend, Austin, who was also dating your friend, Olivia, and then you send news to Shep's friend, Whitney? Like, why is everyone just excusing this behavior? They would have a problem with it if it were Madison, Vanita, Leva, they, Catherine, who's no longer on the show. But why does Taylor get a pass? Um, and then Madison is going in on Taylor, calling her a hypocrite for acting all holier than thou, perfect. Meanwhile, she's out in these streets participating in some suspect and hoish behavior, uh, according to Madison, not me. Um, and then Shep jumps in to defend Taylor by calling Madison out about the things that she's done. But Madison says, I claim to be a slut, but I'm just retired. And I'm like, at this point, the episode should have just ended. Mic drop. Madison just said the quote of the season thus far. Episode over. But JT stands up trying to command the floor and tells Shep to grow up because He's the oldest guy in the room, but that's incorrect, JT. That's incorrect. Whitney is the oldest guy in the room. He's 55 years old at that time. Um, Shep is the second oldest guy in the room at the young age of 43. But go ahead, JT. I'm going to let you finish. And then Madison politely thanks JT for hosting this event. <laughs> and I just love the way this episode ended. Um, yeah. That was the newest episode of Bravo Tea with Jared B. I'm happy to be back. There will be new episodes coming. There is a new episode coming at the end of the week. Uh, this episode uh, that you're currently listening to, I talked about last week's episodes of Real Housewives of New York, Southern Charm, and Real Housewives uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. But at the end of the week, Friday to be exact, I'm going to be discussing this week's new episodes of the Real Housewives of New York. The Reunion Part 2. Uh, the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City is back. I'm going to be discussing The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I'm going... Oh my gosh. The Real Housewives of Miami premieres. Um, so I'm going to be recapping that. And of course, Southern Charm. And maybe talk about BravoCon? I'm not going to BravoCon. I'm deeply disappointed. But I already went to Vegas once. You know, like literally last month. So I'm not going to Vegas again. Vegas was expensive. I will say BravoCon for next year. But I have to say, of course, thank you for listening and thank you for supporting Bravo T with Jared B. Uh, continue to tell your friends, your family, your coworkers, your cat, your dog, anyone that loves to listen to podcasts, please subscribe to the show. Please give us reviews because it helps boost the show and gets eyes on the show so other people can enjoy Bravo Tea with Jared B. Also, we are on YouTube, so you can subscribe to the show on YouTube, okay? We are on Twitter, at Bravo Tea with JB on Twitter, um, at Bravo Tea with Jared B on Instagram. I'm also on Threads. I'm also on TikTok, even though I haven't posted on the TikTok in a while, but I'm gonna get back into it, I promise. Um, I love you all for supporting the show. I love you all for listening. And until next time, have a good one. Deuces. Deuces.